In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows, and they set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his holy throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. When you live... uh... How do I say this without sounding old? When you've lived a, when there's tread on the, wait, no tread on the tires, uh, you, you see that every so often there's something that happens in our world that causes people to feel shaken. And, um, the list of those things as you get older grows longer. And, uh, so for me, uh, there's many, but I'm thinking of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Maybe, and I don't know if, if any of you are old enough to remember that. Besides me, I know there are. I know well, Larry. Yeah, yeah, man, you were, yeah. And you try to describe today to a young person what a fallout shelter is, and it's kind of hard to do. But um, that was part of that time. And then Mount St. Helens. I think this is going to be the 40th anniversary. May uh, is it 18th? Yeah, May 18th. And so we've got that, that, and there was a sense of, man, this is, is this ever going to end? I mean, when's this stuff going to stop coming out of that mountain? Created a lot of conversation, a lot of panic. Um, let's see, Y2K, does anybody remember what that was? And it was kind of a dud, if you remember. But then shortly thereafter, 9-11 and the, you know, terrorism and, and what do you do with that? And the conversation, I mean, it's just the sense of fear. That was palpable. And in all of these things, it's so hard to, uh, you know, how do you know when you're underreacting or overreacting? Isn't that kind of the trick? And if you only find out if you've underreacted or overreacted when when you don't know in the middle of it whether you're doing the right thing until you get through it. And then you realize you did the right thing or you were to this or you were to that. So the Bible, I just want to verify, the Bible is, in the book of Proverbs, is really big on the word uh, prudence or being careful with how you live. And that would be an argument for, um, you know, just it's, it's good to be safe and wash your hands and all that kind of stuff. But the, the book of Proverbs and elsewhere would also say, but don't fear. So be careful, but don't fear. And if you've been around me, you've probably heard me say this thing because it's kind of like my favorite phrase in life right now. Uh, is uh, we have to have responsibility without anxiety. And isn't that like the hardest thing in the world, to be responsible and not be anxious? So um, Psalm 11, it's going to help us become more, hopefully, defining what responsibility without anxiety looks like. It's probably not on your list of favorite psalms. Uh, it's, it's It's kind of one of those little ones you can read through real fast and move on to the next. But it has, I think, just the right words for where we are today. And um, we need to hear those words. They're from God. They're four times like this. 
And we're just going to walk through these five verses. Well, there's seven verses. We're going to focus in on the first five. And um, then we're going to pray at the end. And the prayer time will be a little longer. I'm going to be a little shorter (laughs) in, in going through this. And then we're going to be a little bit more extended in our prayer time. All right, uh, our outline is a refuge. These, we're going to focus on that word, hover over it for a minute. Uh, a spirit of fear, which comes out of the psalm, and then a spirit of confidence. So the word refuge, uh, in the Lord I take refuge, is how the psalm begins. And it's, a refuge is a really, really important word for the spiritual life of the, particularly the Old Testament people of God. You only find, it's 96 times in the Bible, 95 of those times are in the Old Testament. And 50 of those times are in the book of Psalms, in, in these, this collection of Psalms. So it's a huge word for the Old Testament. You remember Israel was um, a miracle nation that was birthed out of a miracle and became this really small nation in the midst of large nations, and to go to God for refuge, meaning a place of safety and security, was a huge need for Israel. And um, it, it is that, that place that you go when you're on the verge of anxiety. Um, and there's other words that are associated with this vocabulary of refuge, and those would be words like, the Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my stronghold, my shield, my rock, my tower. Uh, The metaphors uh, of the Hebrew uh, language are rich in regard to these these kinds of words. So refuge. Now, here's a a question for you. This is let's personalize this. Is God, is the Lord your refuge? Can you say it in the same way that that David did as you wake up? Um, in these days, is the Lord your refuge? Is he your safe and secure place? And if he's your refuge, it's a wonderful word to go to him for that safety and security that your heart longs for. Because if you don't, you will be living in a spirit of fear. We will all be living in a spirit of fear. And that's where the psalm goes next. So this is the summary statement that David begins with. The Lord, In the Lord I take refuge. And then he goes into this other voice that comes into the psalm, it's in quotes, if, you're, if you have your Bible there, you'll see that um, he, he says next, how can you say to me, and then it goes into another, another uh, he quotes what somebody else is saying to him, and we don't know who is saying this stuff to him that's creating a spirit of fear, we have no idea, but it seems to be a, uh, some friends, uh, counselors, advisors, some people on his team that seem to imply that, David, you are being naive about the realities of the evil that is surrounding you. Don't you know, David, that these enemies are, uh, they're, they're lurking in the shadows, they have arrows that are pulled back, ready to fire, they're sneaky, they're crafty. And they're powerful and real. And kind of, these guys are watching out for David. And they assume that he's a bit naive. Okay? And then they say to David, this is a great line. It's a rhetorical question. It's a question that you hear asked here, not just in this season of, of uh, coronavirus, but many times. And that is, when the foundations are being destroyed... Meaning when society is starting to fall apart and anarchy is, is creeping in and, and the institutions of our culture are no longer what they used to be. Where's, where's our foundation? When the foundations are being destroyed, who can stand? Who can 
What can the righteous do? Uh, the message, I believe, says um, something like, when the bottom's falling out, good people have no chance. So kind of that feeling. It's a spirit of fear. And David has two options. According to his advisors, those people who are giving him advice, and here's the two options. One is you can flee to the mountains. That's where That was the first thing that they said you could do. Flee to the mountains like a bird. Get out of here while you're still alive. Or, second option is you can stay and die. Spirit of fear. Uh, somebody a long, time, a long time ago taught me this um, phrase, binary trap. Is, does that make, binary means you have two options. And the trap is that you only think you have two options. And what fear does to us when it comes upon us is it gets us to believe that we only have two options. And there are times in life where we only have two options. But most of the time, you have more than two options. And it is fear that will keep you from seeing those other options. Uh, I, had a, I had a blind date a few years ago. Let me explain. So... Uh, this was in uh, Alaska, and I had uh, a person in our congregation who knew that I had um, an atheist phase in my life. And she had a friend who was an atheist, and she really cared about this friend. It was a neighbor. And so she set up a, a, a blind date between her atheist, uh, one-time atheist pastor, no, 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 Christian, right, you know, and her atheist friend. So we met at a coffee shop. This is going to be interesting, don't you think? It was. <clears throat> Blind dates don't always work out. Did you know that? So we met, and we actually started out okay. And then he went on to the, uh, kind of a, a, a rant or a long and very sincere uh, litany of all of the problems in the world. Now, I shouldn't say all, but that's how it sounded. The, basically, the foundations are, are being destroyed. And what was once ca- called good is now called bad. And, and all the, the cultural changes that were overwhelming to him. And then he, he, he just looked at me in anger at me and he said, I'm going to go to Australia. I'm going to take my family and go to Australia. This is before the forest fires. <laughs> There's always something, right? Well... Um, I said, I said something to him like, you know, maybe there's another option. Why don't, I don't, you know, I, I do care if you believe or you don't believe, but maybe we could work together and work on some of these things, on your litany of things that are wrong with this world. Isn't there something that we could do about it together? I mean, we can't solve all those problems, but maybe we could work on a few. But you see, the spirit of fear doesn't allow you to even... It's either, I'm going to stay here and die, my family's going to go to whatever, or we go to Australia. Really. The binary trap, which is driven by fear, keeps us from seeing our options. Now, David is going to see an option. So this is where the spirit of confidence comes in. Are you ready for that? Say yes, please. Please. Your mom taught you to say, yes, please. Right. All right. The spirit of confidence. David says, the Lord, this is his response. The quotes are over now. This is David speaking. The Lord is in his holy temple. 
The Lord is on, is sitting on his heavenly throne. That's his response to this fear, the spirit of fear. And he uses the name Lord twice to emphasize. And it's the, it's the name, the personal name for God in the Old Testament, Yahweh. Uh, Elohim is the most common name for God in the Old Testament, which means something like God Almighty. But Yahweh is translated Lord in your Bibles. And it, Lord, it, it, it's the best we can do. And that, that personal name of God is Yahweh. So think of it. This is totally an analogy to help us understand. But think of God. Think of, think of Elohim being God's last name and Yahweh being his first name. I mean, that's just to help us understand as humans. It's my personal name I'm only giving to you. You have permission to call me Yahweh. It's, it's, it's not a title. It's a name, a personal name. And it means, we, we hear this, but scholars, we hear this a lot. Of, I, it means I am what I am, or I will be what I will be, or something like that. But that sounds so uh, like Zen Buddhism or something, right? I mean, it's kind of, what's that mean? It, it, if you look at the context where it's given, I am who I am, he's almost, it's almost like a blank check. I am who you need me to be. I am the one who will take care of you. This is right before the Red Sea. I am the one who will part the sea. I am the one who will save you. I am the one who will deliver you. God is, he's the great I am. And and this is, so David sees this great I am. I am the one who will, I am your rock. All the words we could say about who God is, sitting on the throne, the personal name of God, the covenant name of God, is coming through to him. Now, what he does, and I'm going to use this word, he triangulates, David triangulates. So here, look at it this way. Um, David is here, and the enemy, um, sorry if you're sitting over here, you guys over there. The, the enemy is over here, and uh, his friends have told him that that's a big enemy, and you're a little guy. And so they're very real, and, and very uh, uh, present, and powerful. And David looks at the enemy, and then he looks up, and he sees the Lord sitting on his throne. Now, it's sitting. When you're anxious, you're not sitting. What are you doing? You're pacing. God is not pacing. God is not anxious. God is not anxious today about our struggles. He is sitting on his throne. (laughs) He is ruling over. God is above the enemies. He is seated on his throne. David is looking. He can choose to look wherever you want. You can look there or you can look up. And there's this triangle that brings this peace to David's heart. It's a beautiful thing. This is for us, folks. And as, as real and present and as powerful as the enemies are, God is more real, more present, and more powerful. Seated on his throne. And then in verse 5, what does God do? Well, he, it says he examines. This is the NIV translation. But the, the word examine has a little bit of an edge to it. And it, it means something like he tests to, in order to prove. So he's going to be, he's, he's testing David uh, to see if his foundations are secure. It says the Lord examines the righteous. His eyes examine 
them. Uh, in order to see, in order to get David to see if his foundation is in the right place. And so there's this, it's not punishment. There's no, there's no punishment here for sin. That's not why these things are happening in David's life. And don't think that about what's happening in your life. Don't assume that. There's a test that's going on to see if the foundations of your life are going to crumble or not. Are you going to live in a spirit of fear or a spirit of confidence? The spirit of fear comes from looking at the enemy. The spirit of confidence comes from looking up to the Lord who is seated on his throne. This is very spiritually rich stuff for us. So he examines. Now, I'm going to just tell you a short, a short story, and then we're going to have our, our prayer time. This is from history in... Um, in ancient Rome, so the church was, was birthed roughly around 30 A.D. Uh, after Jesus' uh, crucifixion and resurrection from the dead. And roughly 135 years later, so 165 A.D. to 180 A.D. In, the Roman, in Rome, the center of the Roman Empire, there was something called the Antonine Plague or the Antonine uh, Pandemic. And... What happened was the, the military, the Roman military, you know, they were out conquering all over the place. The soldiers came back, and some of them were infected with a disease that then spread to the populace in Rome. And in those 15 years, 25% of the population in Rome died from that pandemic. It was probably smallpox, but we really don't, we have no way of, of proving that. So um, that's, that's just kind of the, the rough historical sketch. Now, what, what happened was the emperor, or there was actually co-emperors at that time, but one of them was Marcus Aurelius. His co-emperor actually died from the, from the uh, pandemic. So Marcus Aurelius was not a friend to the Christian movement, and he ordered persecutions against the Christians, who were very much a minority at this time, but growing, okay? And... Um, he ordered persecutions against the Christians because they were not paying homage to the gods of Rome, the pagan gods of Rome. And therefore, the anger of those gods was coming against Rome. They were, they were seeing it superstitiously and not scientifically, that that was the source of the plague, that these gods were angry with Rome. And so the Christians must be the reason for that anger. You see the logic of that? <laughs> and so persecution broke out. But it kind of backfired. Because at the same time, these Christians had it within their spiritual DNA to be the most caring, serving people in the culture. And so when their pagan neighbors got sick, guess who went to take care of them? See, they didn't have a spirit of fear. They had a spirit of confidence. And they were, became famous for taking care of the sick, often at the expense of their own lives. Now, why would someone do that? Because they believed they were able to look up and see something more than the enemy in front of them, the enemy being that disease. They were able to look up and see a God who was seated on his throne in the person of Jesus Christ who was resurrected from the dead. So death is not a a big issue to these people. They were the only people in their culture whose religion informed them that there was an afterlife and that you will see your loved ones again. This was a huge uh, drawing card to the Christian faith. The promise of seeing your loved ones again in eternity. And so these people then became Christians. And so the persecution is going on and more people are becoming Christians. The point is, and, and I don't know if, if where, where this is all going to go, and, it, it, and I don't know what, where you will be called to maybe serve someone who is in greater need than you are in these days. 
And with all the um, prudence and um, on the one side and lack of fear on the other that goes with that, we all have to live out our lives. But the point is, is that the foundation of your life, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the secure foundation. So the, the writer to the um, Hebrews in Hebrews 12:28 says, we are receiving. Now, this is so present tense then and present tense now. We, meaning Christians, are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, cannot be shaken. That's the promise for us. Now, what I'd like to do right now is just lead us in a prayer. It's got four parts to it. And after each prayer, I'm going to allow some just quiet time and, and um, uh, kids hang in there as best you can. How's that? And um, for those of you uh, uh, streaming online, join with us. Just maybe just close your eyes to get focused. But I'll lead you through these, these four phases of, of prayer that is uh, for, I think, where we all are today. So let's pray. Lord, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, we lift up to you all who are sick, whether it's from this virus or whatever, Lord. We lift up to you those who are sick. Lord, we lift up to you those who are caregivers. And we pray for your strength, for your energy, that they might endure the long days, the long hours, the lack of resources, that they would not become discouraged. Lord, we lift them up to you. Lord, Yahweh, the one who we need, the one who cares, we lift up to you those in authority, those in government, those in health care, those in the schools, um, those who are making decisions, Lord, that impact lives. We lift them up to you. We pray for wisdom. Lord, the one who loves us, we lift our hearts to you, our lives to you. We come to you, our refuge, our safety and security, our rock. We see you on the throne, sitting, not anxious, loving, wanting the best. We see Jesus Christ risen from the dead with the power over death. We cast our fear at your feet. We cast our cares and leave them with you. Oh, Lord, hear our prayers. Amen.